Today's Spotlight is brought to you in part by presenting sponsor, Busey Bank. Busey, your dream, our promise. Welcome to Spotlight. I'm your host, Jane Wernette. And joining me on today's show are three local nonprofits, the Inside Out Club DuPage, the Riverwalk Commission, and Edward Foundation. Welcome to Spotlight. I'm your host, Jane Wernette. And joining me today from the Inside Out Club DuPage is their founder and executive director, Marianne Ruthig. Welcome, Marianne. Thank you, Jane. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you too. And we're going to start right out by asking you to tell us a little bit about the Inside Out Club. So the Inside Out Club is the programming that we run that helps us achieve our mission to develop kids with character inside and out. So what we mean by that is we really want to help build up kids and families to live their lives inside out, living their lives with character, you know, being kind, empathetic, um, practicing collaboration and perseverance, and really helping build up that inside piece of a person and a child through the outside piece, which is volunteerism and connection to the community. So we do that through our Inside Out Club program, which right now we have three um, different Inside Out Club programs running. One is our weekend programming. So this is, we host about 20 weekend events a year for kids uh, and families, kids ages three to 12, so preschool and elementary age kids, to come together and do a service project and practice character building. So we have about 20. If people look on our website, they can find all of the ones we're having this fall and winter. And then we also have right now available to families our new Inside Out Club Live program. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. Um, it is something we built just brand new in response to the pandemic. And then another Inside Out Club resource for families is called Inside Out Club at Home. And that's a filterable database of books, videos, and projects. So families, educators, they can go onto our website and they can filter a whole library filled with all different kinds of books, videos, and projects by our eight key character traits. So things like collaboration, perseverance, self-awareness, or they can filter it by our social causes. So you might be looking for something on supporting troops and veterans or being socially responsible. So it's very flexible. Um, you can look at it by age. So it's a great resource if you're just looking to do something meaningful with your family or your kids from home. So those are just a little bit about the three programs we have going on right now. Yeah, and I mean, so that's, you're really teaching those good old fashioned values and positive character traits and, and you're using activities and resources to do that, right? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Now, obviously, uh, you know, you're usually, and I know, Marianne, you're out in the community, you're very engaged, you know, uh, children often uh, learn best when they learn in person, right? But the, the situation over the last seven months with COVID has obviously caused a lot of people to have to pivot, and I'm sure you have had to do that too. So how are you meeting the needs of the community today in the current environment? Yes, absolutely. Along with so many organizations, we did need to pivot. Our largest program was at our after-school program, which last year was about 2,000 kids in 30 schools. So when COVID hit, that program stopped happening. Uh, so we immediately did have to pivot and shift. We offered a free um, virtual event over spring break. We converted our weekend events to a virtual model. And then for the fall, we really knew that traditional after-school programming wasn't gonna take place. So 
we put our heads together and we came up with Inside Out Club Live, which is a really fun, interactive new program. We were really excited to build it in a way that we thought kids and families would enjoy and wouldn't feel like e-learning. So definitely still very meaningful, um, but we would look at it more as like a combination of a YouTube Mr. Roger. So there's a <laughs> lot of different action, a lot of different short videos all come together. So kids are hearing directly from our nonprofit partners that we highlight. They're hearing directly from community members, kids, adults. Uh, they're doing movement and art. So it's a really interactive, fun program. Uh, it's an eight episode season. So we're right in the middle of sort of the fall season. Uh, and we're just started filming for the winter spring season. So we're really excited to get even more families engaged in the spring. It is designed for K through third graders, but we also have a fourth and fifth grade junior leader program, which we've gotten some great traction this fall that the older kids really enjoy still being an active part of the program, but taking on more of that leadership role, so. Well, and that's a good opportunity, right, to reinforce some of those character building uh, pieces and for them to kind of act those out. It's that whole pay it forward piece a little bit, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. No. Now, obviously you've talked a lot, you do a lot with the kids and the kids are very active in the, in the work that you're doing. How are you supporting parents? How is the Inside Out Club really helping provide resources for them? So we have quite a few resources for the parents and families we serve. One is just our blog. So we post a lot of great uh, content there, as well as in our newsletter, a lot of just conversation starters. So I think if parents go and look there, it's amazing the conversations you can then turn around and have with your kids or even, you know, other family members just around things like, hey, how do we, how do we cope in this stressful environment? Um, another resource would be our Inside Out Club at home, that filterable database. We do have projects if you were to filter by self-awareness. We have projects around mindfulness. So some great coping skills for kids that might be under stress or hey, like, you know, works for us grownups too. So these are some really good uh, resources for parents and uh, they're there just whenever parents need them. Yeah, that's nice. I mean, it's a nice one-stop shop there for a lot of good uh, support materials. And I always thought that idea of conversation starters is so important. You know, if you ask your kid, well, what happened at school today? You get nothing. If you ask more interesting questions, you tend to hear a lot more, right? So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Talk a little bit about, you know, you talked about the whole idea of from the outside, which is that whole part about volunteering. So, you know, when should children really start that whole volunteering process? So I really believe that the volunteering process can start practically at birth. So for sure, by the time your kids are two or three years old, you can really start doing some volunteer, some simple volunteer projects with them. You know, maybe it's just that you as a family are putting together some, you know, winter care kits for a local homeless shelter. And the younger kids are helping, you know, put the socks into the bag or put the foot care, you know, those small acts start just planting these seeds in little kids like, hey, you know, we all have a responsibility to care for each other. And that has been just highlighted immensely in this time is how important it is that we all just come together and care for each other. So I think that it's really important just they can start as young as right two, three, as soon as they're able to just help with a small project, it doesn't have to be a big project. There are tiny things that everybody can do to help. Um, you know, even things like raking your 
neighbor's yard. If you live by, you know, an elder, someone who's elderly, you can grab your toddler and say, hey, let's go, you know, rake their yard. So I think there's lots of opportunity. And in trying times, they have shown, research has shown that volunteerism is just such a pick-me-up for anybody. You know, just as much as you're helping them, you're helping yourselves and you're helping your family. So even though it might be hard to like get started and break out, it's really is truly worth it. Yeah, I think there's that old saying, right? It's it's the whole the gift the gift and the giving is really the person who's giving it, uh, as opposed to the person who's sometimes receiving it. And I think you know you talked very very well, Marion, about the whole planting of seeds. And I think there is a lot of research that shows that adults don't just beam into volunteerism. It's really about learning that and growing that as a young person. Uh, so that's exciting. And you know we're so delighted that you were able to stop by and give us a little. Little bit more information about your clubs. Uh, we thank you for the work that you're doing with young children and we hope that you'll continue to do it even when the pandemic is over and you'll be able to get the kiddos back together again. Absolutely. We're looking forward to it. And thank you yeah. so much for having us. We're, we're very happy to have you. And if our viewers would like to learn more about the Inside Out Club DuPage and learn a little bit more about their programs or how to sign up, please go and visit their website. We're gonna take a quick break for a few short messages. Stay with us. We're coming right back with more Spotlight. For more than 150 years, you've believed in Busey. Today, more than ever, we believe in you. To our healthcare workers, first responders, and local businesses, you're central to the communities we're proud to call home. Busey's grateful to partner with you and your families life's ups and downs today and for generations to come because as neighbors helping neighbors we're in this together Busey grateful to serve the communities we call home Welcome back to Spotlight. I'm your host, Jane Renette. And joining me now from the Riverwalk Commission is Pat Kennedy. Welcome to the show, Pat. Thank you. Nice to be here, Jane. Yeah, it's good. I'm excited to talk about this. Uh, you're a Riverwalk Commissioner. And so I'd really like to understand why did the commission feel that a master plan was important at this particular point in time? And what was kind of the purpose behind it? Well, yeah, thanks for asking. And, and we're just uh, towards the tail end of getting our master plan launched. So excited to talk about it. Uh, but the commission has historically had some version of a master plan or an asset management plan. And uh, over the last few years, we had several groups present projects to us and we were evaluating them um, a little bit in a vacuum. It felt a little reactionary to us. And what we really wanted to do was proactively put our vision out in front of the community uh, so that donors and various community members could see that vision, contribute to that vision, and come alongside us to help us uh, achieve that collective vision. Um, the other thing as we talked about is uh, honoring the history of the Riverwalk. It was launched by citizens who rolled up their sleeves and just made their town a better place. 
by putting a little bit of elbow grease and making it happen. And uh, we saw that 2031 is the 50th anniversary of the Riverwalk and the 200th anniversary of Naperville and just thought what a great way for us to build towards that and a great way to honor all the people who worked on, donated and helped create the Riverwalk and all that it is today already. So those things came together and we, uh, so we put our master plan together. I think that's great. And I think so many people, I'm a 23 year resident of Naperville and it's uh, one of the key things that drew me to the city was the Riverwalk. And, uh, you know, I love the story about everybody kind of, as you said, coming together and really building something that is really a crown jewel for us, I have to say. Um, as you talk a little bit about uh, lots of projects and you talked originally about maybe some projects in a vacuum, tell us a little bit about some of the projects and what you're kind of looking to do as part of this master plan. Yeah, so... Uh, over a 12-month period or so, you know, we walked it, we, we talked to a lot of people. We came up with 12 projects, and it's a broad range of projects. Um, some are enhancement projects that are relatively small. Some are capital improvement projects that are, are pretty meaty. And, uh, and really, the point was to have a broad range of projects that different community groups, different people could connect to, contribute to, and, and really uh, fill in the gaps of the river walk and then enhance some areas that that could use a little bit of a facelift. Okay. How did ecology and the environment play a part? Is that kind of, I, I've heard that that's a priority for you. It is. And it really, we came up with some criteria for all of the projects we have. And that's the most important one is honoring the centerpiece of the river walk being the river. And uh, so there's ecological restoration projects included in the plan. Um, for both habitat, uh, native species, uh, erosion control along the river. Um, so uh, all of the projects, there's a pollinator garden is one of the projects. So all of the projects had to meet that filter for respecting the environment, really being ecologically friendly and focusing on the health and the wellness of the river itself. Yeah, so important, right? Because I mean, yeah. not only is it, um, you know, one of the amazing amenities to be able to walk by but you know kayak on and you know just really enjoy the wildlife there and the and the flowers and stuff it really is beautiful um as you kind of you know as you got started with this master plan i think one of the things that's been exciting to watch and hear about as as a riverwalk commission has been that public engagement process for the plan uh, so talk a little bit about how you did engage the public in your plan and then really what you've requested either from the naperville City Council or for the Naperville Park District? Yeah, it's been quite a time for public engagement, hasn't it? And yes, it has. <laughs> you know, we, we could have set it aside. We decided not to. So over the past few months, um, you know, four to five months now, we have held um, uh, somewhere in the ballpark of 20 separate Zoom meetings with various community groups, um, resident groups, um, council members, park district members, potential partners um, along the river walk, business owners, and, uh, and you know, a few of them outdoors, but not that many. And really the point was to garner feedback at the same time as getting the word out. And, uh, and so we worked through all of those. We took that feedback. We've modified the plan a few times. And uh, we're really excited now. Uh, we recently received um, asked for and received the endorsement of the Naperville uh, Park District Board. And we are asking for the endorsement uh, next Tuesday night for the Naperville City Council to endorse the plan. And, 
And um, uh, it's so important that we receive that endorsement and that support as we continue to execute the plan and move forward with fundraising uh, and engaging the community um, around the plan. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because, I mean, even when you talked about, you know, kind of moving forward to 50 years, you know, our town looks very different. There are a lot more people here. So the fact that you've really opened your arms and, and welcomed people into that process, I think there's always that nice part where people feel that sense of ownership and that they had their opportunity to give input. So that's, I applaud you and the rest of the commission on doing that. Um, now, you're asking for endorsements from both of those groups, but you're not asking for money. So how are you planning on uh, funding this master plan? Plan, Pat. Yeah, thanks for asking. I'm going to go back to your last question, though. It's important if anybody's seeing this now, it's, it's the plan is over 10 years. We encourage you. We have commission meetings. Uh, go to the website. They're open to the public. Um, we're still looking for input and feedback. It will be a living document and we're open to ideas. We really want to engage folks who, who really people uh, feel like the Riverwalk is their own. And uh, it's very special to a lot of people. So we encourage that. Uh, but likewise, we hope to be out in front of you all uh, fundraising. Um, uh, you know, first things first is to get appropriate endorsements and, and to get the plan. Uh, but once we have that, uh, we're really looking to engage um, with various uh, private donors and partners, similar to the way the um, Naperville was launched, you know, was, was from the community. So uh, we'll be talking to groups like the Rotary, the JCs, Exchange Club, who, who all have already contributed in the past to the Riverwalk and done great projects. Partners like North Central College and Edward Hospital are, are uh, either uh, adjacent to and, and uh, have been great partners for the Riverwalk already. And then we're going to be pursuing grants from public agencies. Uh, 430 South Washington is one of our first projects, already has a grant lined up. And so we're going to have to be creative, but we're also going to look to, um, uh, look to our community and, and our friends and partners. And so we'll be fundraising uh, and getting the word out and finding uh, new and creative ways to get the word out over, you know, in the very near future. Yeah, well, I think that's great. And I think, you know, you've talked about a diverse portfolio of what you're looking for as far as funding. But, you know, as individuals, it's it's certainly something that when you give to to the Riverwalk, you can see it, you can enjoy that amenity. It's one of those nice, uh, nice projects where you give, but you also absolutely personally receive and what comes back out of it, right? So that's great. As we wrap up, Pat, you know, what are kind of the next steps for the commission? Um, really, that's the... The, you know, the fundraising will be where the rubber hits the road. We are, we're excited. Um, uh, the Naperville Riverwalk Foundation, who's the uh, 513C through which all, all of our um, funds flow, uh, already has some money built up from the duck races from the past and from things like uh, a brick placement that people can do every year. And uh, they're already um, very generously looking at one of the first projects. So we think we're going to have some ecological restoration starting um, as early as next spring. Uh, and uh, we're going to get some early momentum. And we're, like I said, uh, look for us hopefully to be uh, engaging in different ways and, and educating people on what the master plan is. And, uh, you know, as soon as we have some level of, of funding for even the smallest projects, we look to get started. 
That's great. Well, we are excited. We thank you for all the good work that you're doing to continue to uh, beautify our city, both for those of us who live here and for those that visit. So thank you for your good work. Yeah, well, thank you for having me today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And if you would like to learn more about the Riverwalk Commission, please go and visit their website. We're going to take a quick break for a few short messages. Don't go away. We're coming right back with more Spotlight. For more than 150 years, you've believed in Busey. Today, more than ever, we believe in you. To our healthcare workers, first responders, and local businesses, you're central to the communities we're proud to call home. Busey's grateful to partner with you and your families through life's ups and downs, today and for generations to come. Because as neighbors helping neighbors, we're in this together. Busey, grateful to serve the communities we call home. Welcome to Spotlight. I'm your host, Jane Wernett. And joining me now from the Edward Foundation is Brett Skeen. He's their executive director. Welcome, Brett. How are you, Jane? I'm doing well, thank you. And super glad to see you. I know this has been an incredibly busy time for you. Um, so I'm going to just ask you right off the top. I mean, how has COVID-19 impacted Edward's operations? Oh, things have changed dramatically since March, even beforehand, when there was news of the outbreak, we started planning and a lot of groups started to get together, form emergency response teams and look at what are we gonna do if this is as serious as it potentially could be? And how are we gonna be able to treat the public and just get a hold of the supplies that we're gonna need in order to be able to continue to provide safety and care? It was exhaustive and I'm glad we got out in front of it the way that we did because operations here changed dramatically. When the shutdown came and we had to start to cancel the non-emergency procedures, things really changed here. Um, a lot of people were redeployed. I left my office here as a fundraiser for the foundation and was part of a labor pool group that was reassigning assets, if you will, human resource assets, to other jobs that needed to be done in order to deal with the patient surge that came very early on in the pandemic. So uh, it's been a real whirlwind. Yeah, that certainly, it gives a kind of whole new meaning to the phrase of other duties as assigned, right? Absolutely. And it was something to ask people to do different kinds of jobs from wiping down PPE to screening folks that were coming in, um, whether they were patients or family members, instituting new policies for visits, all kinds of things were going on. So it was really impressive to me the way that employees responded. And there was a really this sense of teamwork and people coming together as a healthcare provider to do really whatever was necessary. And it was a scary environment, but the way that people rose to that challenge was inspiring. Yeah, I think, and you know, we saw so many of the great stories coming out of Edward Hospital and a lot of communication and information being shared. So, you know, I mean, talk a little bit about what it was like working at the hospital during this whole process, because I mean, obviously there was sort of that initial surge uh, and then, you know, we're, we're still, we're seven months in. So what's it been like being there? Yeah, the normal seems to change on an ongoing basis. And fortunately for the better, you know, we, we've gotten better at treating this disease. And as we continue to deal with it and numbers and statistics come back and you find little differences in 
treatment modalities and things that you can do, uh, or even down to testing and how all of that has changed dramatically since the start of this outbreak. Um, it, it's really been very interesting and kind of exciting to see behind the scenes all that's going on and the changes that are happening here in order to provide better and better care. So we're doing some procedures now that are very cutting edge. Uh, ECMO was a story that we just talked about, which is a procedure that uh, I think to dumb it down as best I can, it's, it's like taking blood out of the body and oxygenating it and putting it back in. Wow. And for patients who are really at the brink, and this is a, a kind of a last ditch modality to try to um, save patients, just to have that kind of equipment and technology available and the expertise to utilize it, um, I think people, if they had an understanding of, of how difficult and rare some of these things are that we're doing, uh, would really appreciate what a gem they have here in Edward, right in their backyard. Yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, there's been such a push over the last couple of decades of, of being on that forefront uh, on a variety of different areas, whether that cancer or heart health or stroke. I mean, Edward says is constantly pushing forward, right? It is. At the end of the day, uh, I could boil it down to saving lives. I mean, there will never be enough money for us to have the latest and greatest of everything. And healthcare is a very expensive operation to begin with. You know, just to maintain the facilities that we have is a multi-million dollar capital expense every year. And then you look at equipment that needs to be replaced when it's reached the end of its useful life and all the upgrades that you look into to get to that latest and greatest technology or attract uh, the best and brightest surgeons or caregivers, um, all of it is an expensive endeavor. And we'll never have it all, but we're very driven here at the foundation to engage the community with unique partnerships, however we can to involve people in this mission of healthcare, because at the end of the day, all these little improvements lead to a better quality of care. And when we can advance patient outcomes, the end result of that is either an increased quality of life for our patients or it's keeping them alive, period. And what could be more important than that? You know, that's where I really enjoy what I do. It's very rewarding to be part of a mission that has that level of importance associated with it. Yeah, very, very clear, very focused. Everybody, I think, can get behind that, right? Everybody is impacted by that, unfortunately, at some point in their life. We all come to deal with it, you know, whether it is a debilitating injury or it's an illness or just end-of-life care as we begin to age and I'm, I'm not the young spring chicken I used to be, and things are different for myself and even the activities I partake in. You know, I'm getting to that point where I, I view healthcare differently than I did when I was young and invincible. So as you kind of be more and more exposed to this world, and, and COVID has brought that reality around to many of us and forced people to kind of really think about uh, the fragility of life and how important it is to take care of these needs and your health overall. So, you know, from that standpoint, again, it's immensely important and everybody can play a role. You don't have to be a doctor or a nurse to have a hand in community health, um, whether it's education, some of the programs that the hospital provides and, and building support for that so that we can inform people and they can better take care of their own health or their family's health, all the way down to treatment of serious disease and illness. Um, people can all play a role in that by supporting the hospital. Yeah, and as you kind of um, talk a little bit about engaging the community in your philanthropy, what role, Brett, do you see healthcare philanthropy really playing out in the future? Yeah, I think it's going to be increasingly important going forward. We have decreasing reimbursement rates because, as I mentioned, the expenses are very high. 
Um, healthcare is always a political issue, and the reason for that is the expenses that are associated with it. Uh, we got to find a better and cheaper way to continue to provide increasingly better levels of care. Uh, that's a t- very tough situation to try to resolve. If it was easy, healthcare wouldn't be the issue that it is. Sure. Uh, and going forward, you know, how do you, how do you get around that? And we're going to depend more and more on philanthropy to really be the differentiator between the hospitals that are just getting by or facing closure and those that are providing an enormous quality of care and really pushing medical innovation and science forward. Um, places like Cleveland Clinic and Mayo and Johns Hopkins are renowned and they do have that huge base of support and they are doing fantastic things that all of healthcare benefits from at the end of the day. Um, I'm very proud to say in some regards, we're right up there with those groups. We're doing some really cool innovative things um, in the cardiac realm primarily I think of and some in cancer care as well that are cutting edge involves some really detailed research, uh, even testing of new devices. Um, it's very neat to be associated with all of that and to know that that's available here in Naperville is a really neat thing. Yeah, and you're, you're just continuing to push ahead. I know you've had to pivot and uh, how you're doing that philanthropy, but you're continuing to push forward, right? That's absolutely right. Obviously, we have to put forward a safe face on behalf of the hospital and kind of uh, walk the talk where we're telling everybody to stay safe, to socially distance, to do all this, um, meet the protocols and standards that are coming down from CDC uh, and, and really be educating the public about the best way for people to take care of themselves and their families. Um, All that said, we're we're still trying to run a fundraising operation and meet our obligations for charitable support to the hospital on an annual basis. And that's challenging because most of my world was the face-to-face meetings with donors to go and have coffee and talk about these great things that are going on and provide opportunities for people to find a a real interest in something that they wanted to support and be part of it. Um, Now we're doing a lot of that via these kinds of conference call scenarios um, we're changing the, the public events that we used to do to incorporate all the safety guidelines that have been recommended. And where we can't meet those, we've had to change event formats and go different routes. Um, I will say that I'm absolutely flabbergasted by the immense support that the community has shown. And whether that is um, food donations or cards and letters that we receive, obviously the financial contributions, even some in-kind gifts for things that we never thought that we would be collecting, but have really been essential to providing care during this pandemic. Uh, It's inspiring. It's heartwarming. Uh, All of us here on the staff are incredibly thankful for the community's support we've received. Well, we we thank you for the good work that the hospital is doing on all of our behalves. We know, Brett, that uh, you and your team are going to continue to champion to support and and drive that medical philanthropy forward. So um, thank you for all all that you're doing, and we wish you continued good luck, and hopefully that we will see you in person without too many safety precautions needed in the near future. So thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. And if you would like more information or to learn how you can support the Edward Foundation, please go and visit their website. We're going to take a quick break for a few short messages. Don't go away. We're coming right back with more Spotlight. I'd like to thank all of my guests for joining us on Spotlight and our friends at Busey Bank for their generous sponsorship of today's show. 
If you would like to learn more about any of these three organizations, please go and visit our website at nctv17.com. And to stay informed about what's happening in our community, sign up to receive our daily NCTV news update or like and follow us on Facebook. For Spotlight, I'm Jane Wynette. Thank you for watching. Today's Spotlight is brought to you in part by presenting sponsor, Busey Bank. Busey, your dream, our promise.